Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. ...that he had made to Abraham, but we know that isn't the case. Because God sent a man by the name of Moses who he had called and called out in order to set this people free. You see, Egypt was the very process in which this family could be protected as they began to grow, as God's blessing was upon them and they began to multiply. The, the place of Egypt began the place where they grew into a nation. And then miraculously, we saw how God led them out of Egypt, miraculously and powerfully rescued them and set them free, which is what God does in our lives, right? We have been held captive by sin. We've been, we've been in captivity. We don't know how we're going to get out. But God miraculously, by His power and by His hand and by no strength of our, home, our own, brings us out. God bred the, led them to the mountain called Mount Sinai, and there He made a covenant with His people. And he said, I will be your God. I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm taking you to be my very own. And it was there that God made his covenant with them. And then he led them to the promised land. And we found that the first generation didn't have faith. And they weren't able to lay hold of the promises of God. And so they wandered around for 40 years as that generation died off. But last week, as we saw, God is faithful always to fulfill his promises, isn't he? That's what we've been seeing all the way along. When we are unfaithful, God is faithful. When we can't hold our end of the bargain, God always holds his end of the bargain. And that new generation under the leadership of Joshua, they began to cross over the Jordan River. They stepped into the promises of God. They followed the Ark of the Covenant. They followed the presence of God. They got their feet wet. They stepped into the river and they saw that it parted just like the Red Sea had parted. And it was there that God began to establish his victory. Those steps they took in the river became the same steps that caused them to trust God to march around the walls of Jericho and to see those walls fall. And they began to take, the, take a hold and lay hold of the promise that God had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God is a promise-keeping God, isn't he? He's got the power to keep his promises. He's got the power to do what he said he would do. But how many of you know that we are disobedient sometimes, aren't we? <laughs> And what we're going to see today is that after that period of time, a new period of history, the, the Israelites transitioned to. And that new period of history is a period that's called the Judges. And so if you're following through the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, last week we saw uh, Joshua. What follows Joshua is Judges. And judge, the time of the judges, this was a, a time when, again, the people were not ruled by any particular leader. It was a theocracy. They were ruled by God. It was not a democracy where they were elected by the people. It was not a monarchy at this point where they were elected by a king. It was a, a system in which that God was the ruler and he would raise up judges. And there were 13 judges mentioned in the Bible, or probably more than that, but there's 13 that are mentioned in the Bible. 
Bible. And, and these judges would rule over just particular parts of the tribe of Israel. They weren't a united kingdom yet. They weren't a united people. They were various tribes and different judges would be raised up. But it's a dark period in Israel's history because there's a phrase that is repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Baals was the, another god. And God had told them on Mount Sinai, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. But our hearts are always prone to idolatry. Our hearts are prone to idolatry. That's, that's where we shift. And that's what we see in this period of history is that over and over again, they would begin to serve other gods. It was a cycle repeated over and over again. And the cycle goes like this. Rebellion, their hearts are moved to rebel against God. They begin to serve other, other idols, the idols of other nations around them. Then what happens is oppression sets in. These other nations begin to oppress them. God takes his hand of protection away from them and allows them to be able to experience what happens when you trust something other than God. When you trust someone else or something else and you make them the object of your worship, God says, okay, I'm going to take my hand and let's see how that goes for you. And they began to experience oppression. And in their oppression, they began to experience distress. And in their distress, over and over again in the book of Judges, what we find is they begin to cry out to the Lord. And how many of you know that those who call upon the name of the Lord, what does the Bible say? Shall be saved. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. And as they cry out to the Lord, God comes in and he once again raises up one of these judges who then lead to deliverance. And as the people again would rebel against God and enemy armies would come in, they would cry out and over and over and over again, we see this cycle. And as long as that judge was there, they would serve the Lord. And when that judge would die, their hearts would be turned back to idolatry and the cycle would start all over again. How many of you say in my lifetime, that's been my cycle? You don't want to raise your hands. But oftentimes that's what we find. That, that's what happens. Things are going good for us. We're serving God. Hallelujah. It's good. Then because things are going so good, we get a little comfortable. We begin to drift. We begin to trust other things. Those other things get us in trouble. We go, oh, what happened? How did I get in this mess? We cry out to the Lord. God delivers us. Oh, it's good. And then we start that cycle all over again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That was the period of the judges. And so one of the final judges that we see is a guy by the name of Samuel. And Samuel wasn't only a judge, Samuel was a prophet. And, and, and Samuel was leading, but Samuel had some children, who, some sons who were also leading. But again, their hearts weren't as tuned to the Lord as Samuel's was. And the people were getting discontent. And so the people at this time say, you know what? They look at the nations around them and they say, we want to be like them. They have a king. We want a king. And so after the period of the judges, what we get is a period in Israel's history is the period of the kings or the kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at and focus on today is the kingdom. And this is going to feel a little bit more like a history lesson than it is necessarily a sermon. But it's really important because I want you to see this period of the kingdom because it connects later on to Jesus Christ. 1 Samuel 8, 4-7, then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. You're, right? you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us kings, king, a king, excuse me, to judge us like all the nations. 
But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Notice what God is saying here. God is saying, Samuel, I know this feels like rejection to you, but this isn't rejection to you. This has been a theocracy. I've wanted this people to serve me. I've wanted to lead them. I've wanted to rule over them, but their hearts are not with me. Their hearts are not with me. They are rejecting me. And so what what happens is, he says, listen, I want you to appoint a king, and we're going to usher in this period of time in Israel's history where kings ruled over the nation. And again, this was not God's ideal plan, but we're going to see that God is faithful to his covenant. In fact, what we see in this request, in this response, is an example in human history proceeding according to what's called God's permissive will. How many know there's God's perfect will and God's permissive will? God's permissive will is what God allows, but that is not his perfect will. Decisions that we ask for or that we make or that we want God to do, but they're not God's perfect will. But yet God says, you know what? I can work through that. I'm going to permit that. And there are times where you and I are functioning in God's permissive will, but not his perfect will. There are times where God will allow us to walk in certain ways, to walk in certain decisions, but it's not his perfect will. What usually happens with that is a little bit of a mess until we begin to recognize, oh, I really stepped out of God's perfect will. But God wants to work with our hearts. So God will allow us to take certain steps. And how many, that's what Romans 8.28 says, God works for the good, right, of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How does God do that? Because even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of the sin, even in the midst of God's permissive will, God is faithful to his covenant, and it may not be his perfect will, but God can work in that and use it. But we can't be, don't get too excited about that because there's pain, (laughs) unintended pain in that process. And if we're not careful, if our hearts are rebellious against God, that permissive will might lead us to no longer serving God or not serving God at all. And at the end of eternity, we don't end up in heaven with Jesus Christ in eternal life. We end up somewhere else. But that's that's this time period. So the time period of the kingdom begins as God's permissive will, but his perfect will is that he would be king and he would rule over. And we're going to see a little bit later on in the covenant that God makes with one of these kings that one day God will establish his leadership and his rulership once again. And so this, again, today we're going to look at two of Israel's kings, two of them. I wanted to do more, but I only have time for two. (laughs) And it starts with a man by the name of Saul, and he began his reign in 1050 BC, and then that was followed by David, who's probably one of the most famous kings. And we're going to look at Saul and David. We're going to look at where they placed their hope. We're going to look at how they responded to failure, because they were very human. And we're going to look at their response to failure. And I believe there's some great applications for our lives today as we dig in. So again, before we, we jump into this text, I want to point something out, because uh, let me tell you something. I love the Bible. How many of you love the Bible? You know what I love about the Bible? When somebody's writing about histories of kings or, or, or histories of monarchs, usually those monarchs have a great influence, and if they write something negative, something bad that has happened, usually those monarchs try to keep it out of there. Oh, you can't write that. We're going to only write the good stuff, only write the victories, only write, don't write the bad stuff, right? 
But you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible just tells us and shows us not only the good things, but also the failures. Most of the Bible, all of the Bible's heroes. The Bible is just very clear about, about the heroes, about their failures and their frailties, as well as their faith. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me <laughs> because that's me. <laughs> I'm not perfect, right? Man, I, I make mistakes. And thank God that he works even in the midst of our mistakes, right? Even in the midst of our mistakes. And so sometimes we read this book and we have a tendency to look at it as good and bad. We have the heroes and we have the villains. And so we might look at Saul and David and we go, oh, Saul's the villain. David's the hero. And, and we can look at that and go, oh, but I'm going to tell you everything's a mixed bag. Because they're human, right? They're human. They're people born like us. They have a tremendous God-given potential and, and a propensity to do the things that, that God wants them to do, but they also have a propensity to do the things that God says not to do. <laughs> so it's a story about how God uses imperfect people. Isn't that encouraging to us today? How many would say, I'm imperfect. This is encouraging to me. If God used them, God can use me. That's what I want to encourage you with today. So the first king we're going to look at is Saul. Saul. And so they, this is the first of Israel's kings. They reject Samuel, really rejecting God. They ask for a king. First Samuel chapter 9, we learn a little bit about uh, Saul. Starting in verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin whose uh, name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul. And this is the description of Saul. He was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. If they had NCAA March Madness, he would have probably been one of the stars, right? How many of you got your back brackets busted already? That's me, right? No, okay. Most of you didn't even fill out a bracket. That's okay. Here's what Saul's name means. Saul's name means ask for ask for. Why? Because Israel asked for a king. And his name means ask for. And so it's actually very appropriate because they're asking for a king. And so he comes from a wealthy family. He's very handsome. He's very tall. And, and God, God is guiding Saul. And he guides him through a really weird kind of a scenario. His father's donkey got lost. And so Saul was actually going trying to find his father's donkeys. He's out looking for him, searching for him. He's going here. He's going there. Well, maybe they're over here. And he ends up over here. And the guy that he's with says, hey, you know, we ought to inquire about somebody. I hear there's a prophet here. And his name is Samuel. We ought to inquire from the prophet. Maybe the prophet can say, okay, God, in a vision, where are the donkeys? And he can be our GPS. And he can lead us and tell us where the donkeys are. Right? He can be our Google. He can be our Ask Google or whatever those things are. You know, if they had that, they probably would have asked Siri or asked Google or something for directions. Maybe not. That wasn't funny. I'm terrible today. All right. Just hang with me, all right? It might get better. It might not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's just the way it goes today. But they're on a mission. And so, so God leads Samuel. God leads Samuel, and, or God leads Saul, and, and Saul happens to connect with Samuel. How many know there's no coincidences with God? Right? God is directing things, right? It might be his permissive will, but God is directing things. And so he meets Samuel, he prepares Samuel, 
And what we see here is that as, as Saul waited, uh, as, as Samuel came, Saul, Samuel anointed Saul with, with, with oil, anointed to be the next king, and he experienced an amazing presence of God. He began to prophesy with this band of prophets that was coming, and, and he's experiencing the presence of God. And then, he's, and then what happens is he just kind of goes back, kind of obscure, until there is a, 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 a period of oppression and an army that starts to come in. And, and what happens is is this Ammonite army comes in and Saul, again, the spirit of the Lord is on Saul and Saul comes in and, and he rescues the city and the people in, in, in Jabesh Gilead. And so he starts out strong, but how many of you know things that start out strong don't always stay that way? What, what was his trust in God and what seemed to be, oh, I don't know about this, I don't know. All of a sudden he gained a confidence, but that confidence began to be in himself and not in the Lord. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul was facing a battle with the Philistines, and Samuel told him, wait, wait, I'm going to come and offer a sacrifice because we need the presence of God with us in this battle. You go up, and, and, and then I'm going to be there. I'm coming. And how many of you know that, that the Scriptures tell us that in verse 8, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. The people were scattering. The army was withering. The army was, was shrinking. And, and a few verses earlier, we read that, that they were hiding in holes and they were hiding in tombs and in caves. They were so afraid of the Philistines that they were hiding. And so as they're waiting and waiting, all of a sudden the army begins to get scared and they begin to drift. And Saul, why aren't we doing something? Saul, why aren't we doing something? Saul, why are we waiting? Why aren't we doing something? And finally, it gets to the point where Saul decides, you know what? I can't wait on Samuel any longer. I have waited long enough. So what does he do? Verse 9, Saul said, bring me the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And Saul, what happened here is he took matters into his own hands. When Samuel was delayed, when he couldn't wait any longer, he takes matters into his own hands. And what happens? Just as soon as he offers a sacrifice, who shows up? Samuel. Hey, Samuel, you, you waited long enough. Samuel, we waited Man, and, and, and that's the problem. Here's the problem. Saul was not authorized to offer the sacrifices. Saul was not a priest. He was not a priest. It was not his place. He was not consecrated to offer the sacrifices. He had become accustomed to his position and to his power and to his own might, and he stepped out. He stepped out outside of his bounds. And just what does he do? What happens? Who shows up? Samuel does. And Samuel says to him this question, what have you done? What have you done? You ever stepped out of sight of God's will? And you hear that voice or you look back at something and you look at the message you've created or you look at what happened and you turn around and you go, oh, what have I done? Right? It's called the law of unintended consequences. When we step outside of our authority, our position, when we step outside of what is for us to do, what is supposed to be for God to do, but we get tired of waiting on God and we decide to take matters into our own hands, how many of you know there's a law of unintended consequences and we hear the same thing? What have you done? What have you done? So Saul offers this excuse, well, the people were scattering and, 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 and we, we needed God's presence, and so you weren't coming. So I just, I just, I did it. I offered a sacrifice. And you know what he's doing? He's masking his disobedience and impatience with religious talk. 
Verse 12, I said, now the Philistines have come down against me at Gilgal, and I'm not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself, offer the burnt offering. I forced myself. Oh, I had to force myself. I, we had to do this religious thing. I, I forced myself. I thought I, was, thought I was doing God's will. I thought I was I mean, in God's will. And, and, and he's bending the truth when it's convenient. And Samuel isn't buying it, and he says, you've done a foolish thing. And here's what we learn. It's foolish to trust in your own position and power and not to wait on the Lord. It's foolish when you trust your own power, your own authority, your own abilities, instead of trusting in the Lord. And Saul may have been, been king, but he's not above the law of God. He misused his authority, and he stepped into a role that was not his. This is a problem that we're going to see repeated again in 1 Samuel 15. He now is facing a different army. He's facing the Amalekites, and he takes a, a blatant disregard for God's battle plan. God's battle plan was to wipe out all the livestock. I want you to take care of all of it. But Saul decided to keep some of the livestock. And when Samuel confronted him about it, again, what's he use? Religious talk. I, I'm a, we're we're keeping back to sacrifice them to God. The people said, hey, let's keep these, no, all the best of the best, and we'll sacrifice it to God, right? That's what we're going to do. And you'd think he would have learned his lesson earlier because he keeps massing his disobedience, again, with talk of religious sacrifice and worship. And it may have looked good on the outside, but there was a problem on the inside. And we begin to reveal a problem inside of Saul's heart. It's not necessarily what's happening on the outside, but there is a problem with Saul's heart on the inside. His heart was not submitted to God. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel responds, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. It's a blatant disregard for the authority of God. And let me tell you something, friends. If you're not willing to be obedient to the Lord and to his word, it doesn't matter how much sacrifice, it doesn't matter how much you give or you offer in worship. Saul's true heart motivation is found when he faced that failure. And in 1 Samuel 15, 30, he says this, I have sinned, yet honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow down between before the Lord your God. It sounds like he's repentant. It, doesn't it sound like that? I mean, if you look at the beginning, I have sinned, right? He's, he's repentant, I have sinned. But the words that follow show that he's not really repentant. His sorrow is that he's been rejected by God and that God's not pleased and that perhaps the people will see that God's not pleased. And so instead he says, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I sinned, but will you come back and just honor me in front of the people? Don't let them see. Don't let them see. Don't, don't, let, me, don't let me be rejected by them. Don't let them see that I failed God. His concern isn't about, it's not about repentance. He doesn't want to lose face with the people. And this is a problem that, you will, that we see in Saul's kingdom. And Saul, the way that Saul leads, Saul is more about the approval of the people than he is about the approval of God. And you know what? When we live our lives for the approval of others more than the approval of God, we're like Saul. There are times where, where we, we try to, we want to wait on the Lord, but we're not really waiting on the Lord because we're kind of doing, doing our own thing because we want others to, to kind of be concerned. We want, we want all the likes on Facebook and, and, and all the tags and all the, the stuff, man. Saul's more concerned about his position with the people than he was about the presence of God. And we read that the next thing that happens is the Spirit of the Lord left him. 
This prophetic man turned into a psychotic ruler who was intimidated and always on guard. He was in a position that God had called him to, but without the presence of God in his life. Man, you, you, you need to get that. I, I just said something really, really important. You need to get this. Because listen to this, the last place we want to be is in a position that God has, has not called us to. But equally concerning is this, to be in a position that God has called us to, but without his presence in the midst of it. You don't want to be in the presence or in the position that God has for you, but without his presence. You don't want to be outside of his will, but let me tell you something, when you're in his will, you want the presence of God. Saul didn't value the presence of God. And if we remember last week, Moses said he would not go up to lead the Israelites without the presence of God. Who's going to lead us? If your presence does not go, we're staying put. We're not moving. But there are some of us that keep moving without the presence of God because we don't value God's presence. We value our own ability. We value our own own, uh, resources. We value our own power, what we can do by our own hands. And we're going to move on into what we want, whether God is with us or not and I'm telling you that's dangerous that's God's permissive will but not his perfect will and you will end up in trouble we have got to be a people that learn to value and desire and want the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in our lives being obedient to the voice of God is more important than religious activity to impress others serving others begins with serving him and that's when we look at David. I got to hurry up. First Samuel 16. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king. Saul's still on the throne, but he knows his time is coming to an end. And so Jesse brings out all his sons. He lines them up one by one. And Samuel's a little confused. He looks at the oldest. He's got the appearance of a king. I mean, this guy, this guy looks the part. And he goes, is it him? And God says, don't judge by the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. So he goes to the second, the third, the fourth, on down the line, and finally gets to the end. He goes, I, uh, uh, Jesse, do you got any more sons? Oh, yeah, the youngest. He's, he's just a ruddy little kid. He's out there with the sheep. You really want him? He says, yeah, we're not going to stop until you get him. And as soon as David walks in, he's confirmed. This is the Lord's anointed. He, he, he anoints David, and we see it in verses 12 and 13 of Sam, 1 Samuel 16. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And look what it says. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Friends, this is a pattern that we see. When Saul was anointed king, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and began to prophesy. When David is anointed king, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. There's a connection between the anointing and the spirit. And I say that now in the Old Testament because in the New Testament, when we get to the book of Acts, what we're going to see is God desires, and he said it in the book of Joel, to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that every one of us can be empowered and anointed and walk in the anointing and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, there wasn't enough amens. I think you all went to sleep on me. We didn't have any time change this week. Come on. But I want you to keep this in mind because the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. But I want you to keep this in mind as we look at David because David's name means favorite or beloved. And it's fitting because he winds up being Israel's most famous popular king, celebrated Israel's history. But at this moment, where's David? He's watching the sheep. 
So David was anointed king, but you know what he does? He doesn't go and immediately become king. He becomes a humble shepherd. He goes out and he shepherd until the day he goes on the battlefield. And while he's on the battlefield to take some food to his brothers, all of a sudden, we know the story, there's this big old giant of a guy. He's kind of like the guy from UCF, if you're, if you're watching the March Madness thing, who's like seven foot six or whatever, going to be facing Duke today. I'll be watching that game. Anyway, that's another question. I got to really stay on task today. I don't know what's happening. I got I to gotta stay focused. But Goliath, the giant of a man, and, and all the people are afraid. And, and he's taunting, bring somebody out. You know who should have been out? Saul should have been out. But you know who wasn't out? It was Saul. Why? Because he's more worried about saving face. He didn't want to lose. What's he going to do if he loses? And he doesn't have the spirit of God, so he doesn't have any real courage or faith inside of him. And here comes David, again, anointed. And he's just, he is just really offended by this, this, this giant Goliath. He says, I'll go out and fight him. Ah, and we know the story. We know what, what, what happens. He steps onto the battlefield with the presence of the Lord. Goliath falls. People are singing his praises. Man, oh man. And, 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 and listen, before he, he gets to this point, one of the things, why do you think you should go out there? And he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Let me tell you something. Your private victories... The things you see that you don't think are, you know, they, those private things, the lion and the bear things in you, they're, they're preparing you for the bigger giants that God is going to bring you to face. And when, don't get discouraged when you face those bigger giants. You got to look back at what the Lord has already done in your life. That's what David does. He looks back at what God has already done. So when this big giant comes, he says, uh-uh, this isn't anything. Uh-uh, who's going to defy the army? My God is faithful. There are some of you today, you need to say, my God is faithful. Whatever giant is before you, quit getting discouraged. My God is faithful. My God delivered me here, delivered me here. This is nothing for my God. Come on now. This is nothing for my God. Why? Because he's got this presence, and you see the presence. Saul has Saul forgotten the presence, but he recognizes it in David. The Lord be with you. And that's, that's fine until David's position, until his popularity grows more than Saul. And that's where you see Saul's heart again. When David's popularity outdoes Saul, and even though he's experiencing victory, Saul can't rejoice in it because he's too busy worried about guarding his own position. Not so with David. David has two opportunities as Saul is hunting him down to kill him in jealousy, to take the throne, and he, he won't do it. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. God's going to be the one that's going to, that's going to establish me. And that's what happens when you're trusting in God, when you're able to trust in him and his timing, trust in him to establish you, you don't have to go fight for it. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. Where Saul would take matters into his own hands, what we see is with David is a patient reliance on God. Saul, Saul wasn't, wasn't patient. He had to go out and take hold of it. David's patient. David says, when it's the Lord's time, it'll be right, but I'm not going to take it by my own hand. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to step out and take it by my own hand. And from about 1010 BC to 970 BC, the kingdom is under David. David was a poet, a musician, a warrior, a king, a political leader. He consolidated the people of Israel together from, the, from their tribes all scattered, Judah and Israel. He, he, he rallied them together. 
He, he, he wrote uh, job descriptions for the priests and the Levites. He drew up plans for the temple that later his son Solomon would be the one to build. He wrote 70 Psalms. He conquered the Philistines, the Jebusites, the Syrians, the Moabites, the Amorites. He expanded the territory he, uh, 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 of Israel, Israel's territory by about a factor of 10 with his military skill and diplomacy. And in his writings, poetry, in his writings, we, we see his incredible passion. But how many of you know that his passion also got him in trouble? And that's, David wasn't a perfect king. And that's what we see. We see that David wasn't a perfect king. He goes up on the rooftop one day. He sees a woman bathing. We know the story. David and Bathsheba. Oh, he brings her in, sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. He brings her husband back to try to cover it up. He's out at war, brings him back. He's a righteous man. He's not going to sleep with his wife. So David goes, oh, I got a problem. I'm going to send him out to the front lines where I know he'll be killed in battle. Then I'll take his wife, her to be my wife, and that whole thing will be okay. And, and it's not okay because how many of you know you can try to cover something up, but God knows. <laughs> God knows. So he's confronted by the, Nathan prophet, the prophet Nathan. Here's what happens. See, Samuel confronted Saul. Now we have Nathan confronting David. And I want you to see the difference in their responses. See, David, David, I am the man. And he begins to repent. He writes a psalm about it, Psalm 51. And, and, and I want to just pick out one verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your, what is it? Your presence. Take not your, what? Holy Spirit from me. David is not as much concerned about his position as much as he is about the presence of God. That's the difference between Saul and David. David is more concerned about the presence of God. Moses was more concerned about the presence of God. They're not concerned about their own position. And you know what? You and I need to be more concerned about the presence of God in our lives than we are about our place, our position, or anything else. That's what we see. David wanted the presence of God. And as a result of his repentance, as a result of not clinging to his position or his power, but desiring the presence of the Lord, God establishes him and makes a covenant. And he says in 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Listen, David wasn't, wasn't, was far from perfect, but God wasn't looking for perfect, but a heart that was submitted to him. God's not looking for you to be perfect, but he is looking for your heart to be submitted to him. He's looking for your heart. And what happens is, is that, that, that even though after David would come Solomon, and, and I really wanted to get into Solomon because Solomon is a guy that he had built the temple and he worshiped the Lord and then he married all these other wives and he started uh, building temples to their gods and, and he had just enough of God, but just enough of the world. I'll just leave it at that. His heart wasn't fully devoted. And then after Solomon came a guy by the name of Rehoboam, who didn't even consult the Lord. He consulted his, his dad's officials, and he consulted his young friends, and took his young friend's advice over his dad's officials, and divided the kingdom. That was stupid. But he, he never even asked the Lord. He never even inquired of the Lord of what he should do. So you cannot inquire of the Lord at all. You might be like Rehoboam. You might be like Solomon. You got one foot in and one foot out. You might be like Saul. You start out real hot, but then you you get all full of yourself and you stop trusting in God and start trusting in yourself. Or you can be like David, who although was far from perfect, completely submitted his heart to the Lord and was more worried about valuing the presence of God and keeping his heart submitted to the presence of God than he was his own position and power. Spoiler alert, thousand years later, 
that promise was made that your kingdom will be established. Well, we know kingdom after kingdom, what happened is the Assyrians came in and, and, and they took Israel away and the Babylonian kingdom rose up and, and they took Judah away and there's not a king. Now they're being ruled by others and then the Greek empire comes up and then the Roman empire comes up and Israel's still oppressed under the Roman empire a thousand years later. But how many of you know what we've been saying through this entire series of long story short is what? God keeps his covenant promise. God always keeps his promises. And guess what this promise was fulfilled? The kingdom being fulfilled. Who was it fulfilled? And Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, 31 to 33. We're going Christmas, baby. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, who? David, and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. The kingdom will never end. God's permissive will turn back around to his perfect will where once again we are ruled not by a person but by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Say so the kingdom may have been forgotten or may have thought it was forgotten. The kingdom may have forgotten as God but God did not forget his kingdom. God doesn't forget. So I'm gonna invite the worship team. We gotta land the plane. God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. He works with flawed people whose hearts remain submitted to him. And we saw two kings. We saw Saul and David, both anointed by God to lead. Saul relied on his own abilities, his own authority, his own position. He stepped out into disobedience. He valued his popularity more than the presence of the Lord. The fruit of that was jealousy, anger, discontented pursuit in the wrong places, and as a result, the Spirit of the Lord left him, and he eventually lost everything, including his life. David was far from perfect, but he learned to trust the power of God, waiting to establish for the Lord to establish his position. When confronted with sin and failure, he humbled himself before the Lord and did not seek to hold on to his own position or pride or power. And as a result, God made a covenant with him and established his position in Christ. Here's my question for you today. Which of these kings are you more like? I know we all want to say David. Oh, I'm a man after God's own heart, right? We all want to say David. But when, when it seems like God is waiting, not showing up when you want, do you move ahead and start doing it in your own power? Or do you wait on the Lord to establish you? What do you do? What do you do? When, when your position is threatened, do you seek to defend? When you sin, do you seek to defend your position or do you seek to repent? Do you value how much you look to others more than you desire the presence of God? Do we have hearts that are truly submitted to God or do we just go through the motions of religious activity? Today, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Say, God, what are some areas in my heart where I'm being disobedient, where my heart is not fully submitted to you? Let's bow our heads this morning. With every head bowed, I just, I want to make this opportunity today available. I don't want to move forward without, but perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps today you are not fully submitted to the Lord. You haven't submitted your heart. You haven't submitted your life to Christ. And today you say, you know what, today is the day I want to give my life to Jesus. Today is the day I want to submit to his lordship. Will you slip up your hand today? I want to lead you in a saving faith in Jesus Christ today.
anybody at all. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to submit to his lordship today. All right. Secondly, this morning, you'd say, you know what? I have given my life to Christ, but there are times where I know my heart has not been submitted. And I just, I'm just feeling that. I'm feeling the conviction of the Lord, and I need to repent today. As I pray, I want you just to repent to the Lord, and I want to invite you in a few moments as we sing, if you want prayer today, will you come and let us pray for you? Will you come down to these altars today? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, forgive us today for the times when we sin against you, for the times when we don't wait and we take matters into our own hands, for the times when we don't value your presence as we should. We repent today. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to cleanse us. And we submit and surrender to you. We want to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand and just close. Just close in this time of worship. If you want prayer this morning, maybe you even want to just spend some time just with the Lord this morning. Maybe you need to come to the altar, spend some time with Jesus this morning. Will you come this morning as we close and let us pray for you or come and spend some time with the Lord today? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.